Hello and welcome. This is the Filmmakers Podcast, a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie films to studio films and everything in between, how to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. Today, we are joined by a very special guest, Colin Gowdy, who not only edited Monsters, but also Star Wars Rogue One. Hello, mate. Hello. And uh, just from off the bat, co-edited. There were three editors on Rogue, and I don't want to take sole credit for that because by no means was that the case. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, I'm also, John, we're going to come back to Colin, obviously, very soon and talk to him about so many amazing things. But first of all, I want to introduce my co-host today, special guest co-host. It is the fantastic Phil Hawkins. I'm one with the force, the force with me. I'm one with the force, the force with me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited. Um, this is where we're going to discuss every single cut of Rogue One, cut by cut, right? That's oh, what I, I imagine we're just properly going to deep dive yeah. into it. Everyone, or... <laughs> podcast version which is we're talking about filmmaking and our shit i'll I'll try and tame down the geekery slightly (laughs) yes because not only have you made five feature films phil hawkins but you have recently gone off and shot your own star wars fan film yes i have um it's very exciting uh so so yeah star wars origins um and uh, just got back from morocco uh it's probably uh Arguably the most expensive fan film uh, ever made. And um, it's not kind of your usual, you know, people with lights of a fights in the forest. It's, uh, it's kind of a new spin on, uh, on fan films. It's also a love letter to the action adventure genre. So it's actually set on Earth um, during World War II. And I found a really cool way of getting Star Wars into World War II. And obviously with homage to uh, Indiana Jones and lots of other kind mm-hmm. of, of the sort of Lucas films and Spielberg films in there as well. So yeah, it's uh, very exciting. Three years in the making. Wow. Um, editing right now. That's like um, a real Star Wars film. That is like a, like a real <laughs> yeah. Star Wars film. Three years Although in the I making. wasn't financed by a studio. <laughs> um, no, but what you did do, and, and I have seen the, the teaser trailer, uh, and I know it's not coming out yet. When is it out? Well, actually, so oh. in a couple of days after this podcast comes out, the first teaser comes out. Well, I will try and drop that into the link. So if you're listening to this yeah. after the couple of days it's out, because this is out. Tuesday, so it's yeah, Tuesday. so I think it's like Thursday it's coming out. So uh, go on YouTube, Star Wars fan film, uh, Star Wars Origins fan film. It's going to um, blow up. It's going to be massive. When are you expecting to finish it? So we're coming out a week before the next film comes out. Um, because, you know, there's this other little Star Wars film coming out in December. Mm. So, you know, mm. we thought we'd come out a week before. Yeah. Do you know makes sense? To, to be honest, honest to... they should come out first because you're the bigger one. So, well, I mean, there is that too. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's... I thought, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd do it, you know, just as a, as a little gift, a little favour to them. And when yeah. you say come out, what's your platform? Uh, YouTube, the world, for free, because obviously it's a fan film yeah, and, and uh, can't make to, any right? money or, or anything from it. Uh, it's all for the love. And, um, and mainly for my career, um, um, because, um, you know, as Dale said, done a bunch of feature films uh, and, uh, you know, hundreds of commercials. Um, but this is my kind of stupid, ambitious showreel piece to go to studios and say, look, this is what I can do. These are the films that I want to make. Mm-hmm. And uh, we don't get that much opportunity in, in, in the film, British film industry anyway to make those big scale uh, action adventure kind of movies. So this is me sort of thinking, right, literally put my money where her mouth is and uh, go out and uh, make a film. And I you look have, forward to seeing it. Uh, you, and it honestly, it's, it's really good. It's like, oh, wow. And oh, did thank it you, off mate. your own back and you've, what you've done with it is great. And we'll talk about it more on this podcast. Absolutely. I also want to introduce our producer, our editor, all-round brilliant guy. It is Robbie McCain. How's it going, Giles? You all right? Very good, Robbie. Yeah. I, love, I, I love the way you The deliver. deadpan. The deadpan yeah. delivery. Right. <laughs> Each just time. perfect uh, editor material, really. <laughs> just, hi, everyone. I love that. It's just cool as fuck. Um, so that's our team today, everyone. Obviously, we're going in deep dive with Colin about how he edits his films and, and goes about it. And we'll be talking with Phil about how he's made his Star Wars and we'll be chatting away, all of us, uh, Robbie and myself. A uh, bit of housekeeping, first of all, though. You can listen to Phil's episode. There's a whole episode on um, making No, films. it's weird mm. being this side of the table. Yeah. But cool, right? <laughs> you've, now, you've now got to come up with questions. Yeah, the pre- I know. Yeah, yeah, I've actually made notes and everything. So a bit of housekeeping. Obviously, the Make Your Film event is happening on September the 3rd. Myself and Dom Lenoir are hosting that. We have two guests announced already. Anthony Woodley, uh, who directed The Flood. And Leon Clarence, who not only produced Sense8, but he's also producing the upcoming Blake7. So I think he only does... Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, and he's... What? He produced Sense8. Yeah. It's like the greatest TV show ever, pretty yeah. much. He's on it? our panel, September wow. the 3rd. They're amazing, honestly. Like, I came as a guest and then came just to, just to watch no, them. You just they're, come they're, for fun they're, now. They're yeah. so good. They're so good, <laughs> honestly. The amount of... It's, and it's a really intimate space as well. It feels mm. like you're just in conversation with these like mega experienced people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's Q&A at the end as well. So yes. you can get to chat to and everyone just chills afterwards in the bar. It's at Theatre Delhi in London, September the 3rd. Do come along. I think all the early birds are sold out now. And our third guest is brilliant as well. She's ace. Just as a little spoiler there. Um, so yes, that's on September the 3rd. Fuck me. There's so much going on at the moment. It's really hard. We've got King Arthur prep right now yeah. doing this TV series. There's lots of shit going on. So it's all fun and games games uh, for me at the moment and I've obviously just come back from Miami so if you haven't listened to last week's podcast then do go listen to that it's pretty much live of us in Miami terrible sound I know and Robbie did a brilliant job editing that because one of us Johnny Grant recorded it on the wrong <laughs> oh naming and shaming app. Johnny Grant he's listening as well I know he's listening I love you Johnny you're amazing but for fuck's sake Robbie had a hard time you tell him off Robbie you tell him off yeah apologies Johnny if you sound like you're coming from the 1980s but um but you are that's you what did. Your own fault um, uh, it's not. It's not at all. It's my fault for leaving the microphones in a suitcase on the train. Anyway, so that's last week. Uh, also, if you are a screenwriter and you have your screenplay ready for the action adventure screenplay competition on Screencraft Now, the deadline is, I think, October the 31st, but you can get the early bird now. And they have so many brilliant judges and guests on at the moment that can really help you progress your career. So if you have a script ready and when I mean ready I mean you've properly prepped it you get one chance at these type of things so make sure you've got friends to read it and you've sent it out to as many people as you can and get it in the link is in the show notes but screencraft.org there we go that is the housekeeping let's get today's episode the filmmakers podcast episode with Colin Gowdy it's always nice to hear people's stories how they first started okay. and from what I can gather you started in Sort of TV, you're doing early docs, you were doing yeah. promos, and you so I'm gonna sound go department. way back, right? I'm gonna go way back. You don't look way back, <laughs> you've, <laughs> I got, I am. you've got so, what, like, like premiere <laughs> version two kind yeah. of back. Yeah, so, yeah. I left school when I was 15 because mm. when I was at school, you could leave at 15. That's how old wow. I am. So, I left school when I was 15, and I got a place at local art college, which was Neen College uh, in Northampton. Nice. And then I did two-year foundation course there. Yeah. That was in the 1970s. And I discovered 35mm black and white stills photography. Beautiful. Because in those days, everybody had like a, you know, our family camera was a Kodak Instamatic, which yeah. had like 12 shots on it. Mm-hmm. Took forever to take 12 shots because your dad wouldn't let you, of you know. Course. And then they'd come back from <laughs> the lab. And the like pictures, now. when they came back from Boots, they'd be like two inches by two inches. They were tiny. Wow. And then suddenly to go to an art college and have 35mm black and white, what you're shooting on that neck and processing like 12 by 16 prints mm. changed everything and so that was I fell in love with photography went to Bournemouth um, film school and the first year at Bournemouth three year course in yeah. those days yeah. um, and the first year you were only allowed to do stills photography um, what? because it was so expensive to teach a film student only at that time, nuclear physicists were the only people who were apparently more expensive to t- teach than film students because wow. of the cost of because of the processing. That's what they costs. told us because yeah. of the processing costs. Wow. Um, so the first year you had to do stills mm-hmm. where you'd learn about obviously composition, lighting, and even storytelling. Yeah, that's super um, cool though because it's like you know you're. you're immediately you're sort of put with these limitations totally. and you have to learn from That's that discipline. That's right. You yeah. absolutely are. That's how Stanley Kubrick learned, right? Oh, he was st- photo- oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was a photographer for Look yeah, magazine. Oh, and he, That's interesting. slowly started to kind of build up a stuff. sense. Right. Well, it really is a great way to learn how to tell a story in, you know, 12 pictures or whatever. Well, the thing is you can't make mistakes. You have very little chance of making mistakes. Yeah. Now with digital technology, oh, we can it's shoot, changed. Shoot, exactly. Shoot so we went through that process and then what you had to do is if you wanted to, the film course then was only like 12 students so you had to make a film off your own back on super 8 which mm-hmm. you then submitted in order and they would watch it to see if you had the skills to get on to the second year and third year right. but what i did was the sneaky thing of as a first year student i'd go to all the second and third year students who were making films and i'd say do you want a unit stills photographer <laughs> which of course everybody did yeah of right course. and of course as soon as you're on a film set you all know because you're all filmmakers mm-hmm. there's never enough people on a film set 
So as soon as you're standing around, and you're not taking photographs all the time, obviously, yeah. people go, oh, can you can you go Mark Clapperboard? Yeah. Oh, can you move that barn door in a bit? Oh, could you hold this boom mic? And you build up that skill set. And then when you don't mess up, because that's the golden rule of filmmaking, mm -hmm. when you're given an opportunity, don't mess it up. Oh, don't F it up. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, then they'll give you more responsibility and more. So in fact, by the time I finished my first year, I'd been working as an assistant editor in the edit suites on the second and third year wow. students' films. And so what that meant was when I got onto the second year film course- Of course you did. As a second year student, yeah. my friends I'd made who were in the second, had been in the second year were now third year graduate students. So they were shooting their graduation films and they would say, do you want to edit my film? So I yeah. was effectively a year ahead. Perfect. That's how I did that, just sneaky. Um, Juvious, sneaky person. And just took every opportunity that I could. So by the time I got to my third year, I'd already been working as a camera operator and as an editor and all those things in my second year. And what a great way to learn, because then you're on set doing all those things, yeah. watching other people mess it yep, up in some absolutely. way. Absolutely. Learning then, by their mistakes, yes. as well as your own. Absolutely, of course. <laughs> but I think um, you're doing yourself a disservice there, Colin, because you're saying you're being sneaky, but actually you were putting yourself proactive. out there and yeah. you were seeking out yeah. those jobs. It's just being proactive. Active. Do you yeah. feel at the time as well, that time of making films, that even for like the lecturers, it was an experimental time? It totally was. Making films. And we had great, we had great lecturers mm. because they were all um, industry professionals. And this is, this is in the late 70s, early 80s. And there were no opportunities really in this country for, for low budget filmmakers. Mm. So they would use the college equipment our lecturers and they would go off and they would make their own films during the summer breaks and stuff. Oh wow. And so of course and of course then we could get to go and work on those film sets mm -hmm. and we would interact with really good act like Ronnie yeah. Ronald Lacey was in one of the films that they made. Oh, right. So I got to know Ronnie yeah. and that was pre him going off to do Raiders and wow. stuff. So um yeah, so, so you suddenly got it, it was really was it was a, it, it was they were they were brilliant low budget yeah, filmmakers. Yeah. And so you were learning from them from their filmmaking, not just their lecturing, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. It does make sense. Uh, and their mindset and their ethos. Right. So, so now you've, you've kind of, you're, you're out there, you've mm -hmm. graduated. How did you start getting work? What did you do? Uh, so the very first job that I got, where I got paycheck, was um, working at Ridley Scott's company, the film editors, his commercials yeah. company. Yeah. Because a friend of mine who'd graduated a year before me, she was a runner there. And when and I would go and sit in the reception while she was off running, and I would going through the file of uh, the roller decks they had, writing down the number of every no production company in London and every address, so I could put my CV in. Um, but what happened was I would then do that thing of going, oh, do you want me to run that over to Technicolor for you, over to Ranks? And I would do that. And then when it, oh, all for free, because I was using their facilities. And then um, when she went away on her annual leave, she said, can Colin take over? Because you don't have to find another runner because he knows where every facility is in London. This is amazing. So, this is so proactive. You know, you, filmmakers out there, you want to start it out. That's what this, you want to do. You've got to and do it. The great thing about that was mm. in the vault at the film editors were all the deleted scenes from Alien. And a movieola. So at oh, night, wow. so the at night I loaded there. up those scenes and watched them. So when, when and Dallas this is before and the day, yeah, Dallas. When they're that's encased right. in the kind of, which you had to yeah. wait years till it came out on the Blu-ray until he did the director's cut. Yeah, yeah. and you sat and just watched I just put them on a movieola and watched them. Yeah, all the, all the deletes in yeah. Romania. Yeah. And then that's really great is because oh, in cool. those days, you've got to remember, this, this is the days of VHS, pre-DVD, pre-deleted scenes, pre-director's cuts. And of course, until that point, I'd never seen any deleted scenes from a movie ever because nobody had. Why would they spend the time right? doing it? Yeah. So now I'm looking yeah. at those scenes and you're thinking, oh, I want, yeah, okay, I can see why you'd cut that out pacing wise. And someone learning from Ridley Scott, yeah. you know, it's you're like as a Ridley runner, Scott's dirty you're laundry, thinking, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you're thinking, oh, that's a really good call. Yeah. Oh, I see. So because obviously you know. you'd see from when the camera starts turning over, so you'd see all that bit mm. preempt time. No, it was just the, just the cut scene, just the oh, cut scene. It was the cut oh, scenes. Okay, yeah, they had all other stuff in there, but I just went for the, you know, in case somebody came in and went, what are you doing? Because then you'd have a reason to say, I've been asked to look at this. Ridley comes in. Ridley, who are you and what do you do? What's great to say, you kind of were able to watch it yourself and and see and figure out why they weren't there. Because obviously yep. a lot of your job, and we'll probably get into Gareth Edwards' process mm -hmm. of making films, is like, is what, to, what to leave yeah, out. What to yeah. leave out. Yeah. So. so that was my first paid job, and it was only like a week or two okay. while Liz was away. And then um, I'd applied 
But I hadn't heard you. I'd applied at the, as soon as I left film school, I applied for a job as a trainee assistant film editor at the BBC. And I was waiting to hear if I got that job, which is while I was hanging around the film editors in case I didn't get that job. And, you know, yes. uh, but I did. And it didn't start until the November. And I didn't want to squander that time. So I carried on loitering around facilities in <laughs> London, learning Brilliant. whatever I could. So uh, not to rewind, mm-hmm. but you, you came out of, you know, university and went straight into being an editor. What was that? Because then you were editing. Okay, so what we'll was that to... moment though? Where Because you obviously started in photography. And uh, yes. Image, so it's like, what was like, wow, actually enjoy the process of editing. That's the thing Understood. you do. Very good question. So here's the thing. Um, once again, back in the dark ages, pre-DVDs, pre-all those things, pre-really even film school. I mean, I didn't actually leave with the intention of going to film school. I kind of ended up there, but I'd always loved movies. So that, but it was an unobtainable thing on Mount Olympus with Zeus. It was impossible to get there, right? So um, when I was at film school, I thought I wanted to direct and I directed a number of films, documentaries and dramas at film school. I made a little tiny crappy two, three, five to one sci-fi movie nice. shot on film. Wow. And, Is that still um, around? No. Okay. Uh, thank God. And um, <laughs> no. And uh, but I learned a lot making it. Okay. But what I learned from everything that I directed, and I still do direct stuff occasionally. Okay. Um, but um, I find that directing is a destructive process. I start off with a really great idea. Mm -hmm. And in my head, as I'm writing the script or whatever, or I'm reading the script that I'm going to direct, whatever, um, I have these great ideas of how it's going to look. And then I'll get onto set. And then Mm. the actors that I could have afforded weren't quite good enough. And then the weather's terrible. And Mm -hmm. every single thing you do is a compromise. So this brilliant idea that I've had gets progressively worse and worse and worse and worse. Yeah. What I learned as an editor was I'd be sitting in the cutting room with the rushes the directors would bring me in and they'd go, I didn't get it. It's terrible. It's rubbish. I haven't got it because the weather was bad. My actors weren't good enough, blah, blah, blah. And so you start off with something which is unwatchable by the general public. Mm -hmm. Nobody sits and watches, you know, 100 hours of rushes or whatever, or even four. Um, And so therefore, it's a constructive process because the the longer you work on it, you work on editing your rushes, the better and better and better, hopefully, the final product gets. So it's a very positive experience as a filmmaker. I love that. There you go. And so that true. is why I ended up as a an editor because I hated directing and I loved editing. Now I do try and you know I'm, most you know most of my paychecks are as an editor. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I do direct occasionally these days, it's I try and use everything that my editor self is yelling in my director's ear. Go and get say, that shot. Go and get this shot. And also, so like occasionally, people will say to me, "Can you go and shoot some second unit and stuff?" And I'll be there and I'll get to take two and I go, "Yeah, cut done." And the crew are like, "Really?" I go, "Oh yeah, and no, I could fix that in post. Move on." Because I don't want to go into overtime. Yeah, because you know. <laughs> so, yeah, right. and yeah, that's yeah, you know. the thing is, say, like all to filmmakers is is learn how to edit. Not that not not necessarily mm-hmm. you should edit your own work because mm-hmm. obviously we, the collaboration yep. with an editor is very very important. Um, but know how to do it because yes. it will say it will save the day yeah. in the shooting. And mm. it's also interesting that I know a lot of people talk about a lot of um, a very brilliant directors started off as editors, and a lot of people say it's a really good way to learn. But I also argue it's the it's the reverse is true as well. I think it's really good to be a director if you want to end up as an editor. Mm. Wow. And not I've never actually heard other people say that, but I think that's true. Mm. Because they're also mm. also when you're an editor and you've been a director, yeah. you have so much more empathy for what your director's been through. They, they, yes. You yeah. know? Whereas as an editor without that, you yeah. kind of go, well, you why, did you... why didn't you get this? Yeah. What do you mean? Well, no, of course we can get you know, Whereas when you've been mm. on that side, you know, when you've been on the front lines of, you know, being on a set with the clock going tick, 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 and the producer going tap, 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 mm-hmm. you completely get it. And all the stresses that they they go under. Because I think until you've directed or until you've been sat next to a director all the time mm. on a shoot, not in an edit, on a shoot, you have no idea the pressures that a director's under. So true. Because you um, very recently helped out Staten Cousins around Poppy Row. And oh, had, yeah. Had a look at their wonderful little film, it's brilliant. Killer's Guide to Life, which yeah. I was honoured to be a producer on. Um, and you, you gave some great feedback. Oh, I mean, good. You gave some amazing feedback. They were over the <laughs> But movie. it was a really good movie to start with. That yeah. was the thing. It's easy to give feedback when, when there's a really good film there. Yeah. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. all you're doing then is you're saying, just tweak that slightly, mm-hmm. you know, to do this and this and this might might help. And also the other thing that I do, whenever I give notes to people, I'll give them like 20 notes. And first note, 
number one note is always nobody knows anything, the William Goldman. Yeah. And then I'll give them 20 notes and then note 21 says, don't forget, ignore all my notes. It's your <laughs> film. Except nobody knows anything. Yeah. There you go. And that's wow. So I reiterate, I, just ignore all of my notes. But because, yeah, all right, love that. Um, and I have to give a shout out to Poppy and Staten for introducing us, uh-huh. getting us together. So thank you for that. But also the screening of A Serial Killer's Guide to Life, the first ever, the world premiere is at Fright Fest on the 24th, Saturday the 24th, coming up literally a week and a half away. Tickets are available. Come and support. It's 1pm at Prince Charles Cinemas. It's a great festival. It's it's a great movie. A lot of people think the editing process, Mm -hmm. you know, if you come fresh out of, you know, film school uni, I want to be an editor and it's all about tutorials and knowing the buttons and all the things. But what Mm. people don't realise is actually a lot of being an editor is being the therapist yes you yeah, know like the first thing job. I've written on my notes is editor as psychologist that's question totally mark. it's exactly it because I find when I come at the end of a shoot you know and um, you're just you're broken oh, <laughs> directors <laughs> directors walk into you know. the edit suite and they look like Charlie Sheen at the end of Platoon yeah, yes <laughs> that's what they look like yeah. every single time I've never oh, seen Sheen a director right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've never <laughs> seen a director walk into the edit after a shoot looking refreshed and chilled and Never. they looked like war veterans and it's lovely that you're you bring <laughs> back the positivity curve mm, you know you bring yeah, back that yeah. passion that Try first to. started yeah uh, it's slightly it's like a, a colorist isn't it it's you know a grader they get the it's like the best job yeah someone's been sat in the edit going oh god what am i gonna do this is horrible and they literally come in and go Ta-da! Yeah. yeah the best job in the world yeah. colorist but everyone's happy as fuck but yeah, editor must so second how do you how do you think you learn you know as an editor listening to this now how do you think you learn that i mean it's it's oh, not about okay. knowing a I don't ever. think you can learn that. Mm. I think that's a, a trait that people who migrate into editing have. Mm-hmm. It's a life skill set. I don't think you learn it. I think you might be able to polish it. Uh, the great thing when I started at the BBC, so I went as a trainee assistant, mm-hmm. which meant you were the third person in the edit suite for nine months because there would be the editor, the assistant editor, and you were the trainee. And so you were seeing in that environment how your direct, your editor-director relationships and producer relationships went. So you can pick up on that sort of thing. But if you're kind of the sort of person that is not a people person... I don't think mm-hmm. you can learn it. Mm-hmm. You know, That's I think really I think you can be a very good technical editor and you can edit on the sort of shows that don't have that kind of director editor don't need that yeah. kind of editor director relationship. You know, lots of like and a, you can make an entire career out of that and I wouldn't knock that at all and I've yeah. cut many of those shows particularly in my early years. But if you want to do on work on something where you're with the edit, the director for 2 3 years, you got to be a people person, you yes. got to be a I think. Yeah. I think you do if you're going to make the best film possible. Yeah. And it's that trust, isn't it? Yeah. Because, mm. Oh, you know, completely. You're, you're very protective of your rushes, you know, mm-hmm. because like, cause it's not a thing yet, you know. So I'm yeah. going to leap ahead a little bit, but it's just a, as an example. So I've just finished uh, earlier this year editing a film called The Show, which is directed by Mitch Jenkins, written by Alan Moore. Mm-hmm. Wow. And uh, Alan, for those of you who don't know, wrote Watchmen V for Vendetta and various other graphic novels. Mm-hmm. And The Show is his first feature-length screenplay. He's written short films before. Um, and uh, so I worked with Mitch on the short films. We had a relationship that goes back to 2012. But he, Mitch would come into the uh, edit suite, if he could, every morning, at like 7am, we'd do 7 till 8 in the edit while he had a bit of breakfast and we'd discuss the previous day uh, and what was going to happen today. Then he'd, if he was shooting nearby, he'd come in at lunchtime, we'd talk about what he'd shot in the morning and I'd show him what I'd been editing and then in the, again in the evening. So we'd try to do it that way, if we could. Sometimes he was away and that wasn't possible. Um, but he'd come in and I remember one day he came and he goes, so I did, I did, I did the cab scene. Uh, he goes, what did, what, did you, what did you think? And I went, yeah. And he's like, Oh, well, it's terrible, isn't it? I messed it up. And I was like, no, 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 not at all. Uh, I said, but I've, I've, I've done two versions. I said, I did the normal version and I did a batshit crazy version. And Mitch went, oh, just show me the batshit crazy version. <laughs> so I showed him the batshit crazy version. Yeah. And he was like, never show me the other one. Really? That's the one. Yeah. And I'd gone way out on I, a limb. But had you, did you kind of know? Did you kind of go, well, look, I prefer that with the batshit crazy one anyway. And Oh, I preferred the batshit crazy one. Of course. Always, always prefer right. the batshit crazy one. Um, but, but always try and do a version that is the version the way they intended it In so the they can see it. Okay. Um, because it's their film. It's not my film. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things I wish used to do, when I first worked on um, non-linear was Lightworks. And on the desktop, I used to have a little icon that I'd make up on day one, JPEG. Mm -hmm. And it would say, e.g., a Gareth Edwards film. 
Right. And then when we'd be discussing the movie and it would get to a particular scene, it would be, you know, discussing, arguing over. <laughs> and then the director would say, you know, well, you know, what do you want to do? Blah, 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 blah. What do you think? And I'd tell them what I thought about a scene and I'd go, and I still don't do this to this day, do it with Mitch as well. And I'll click on that thing so it fills the cinema screen frame. And I go, what do you want to do? <laughs> because it's a Mitch Jenkins film. Mm. It's not a Colin Gowdy film. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's really Again, interesting. It's, it's, the it's a people side, thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause you've worked with, have you worked with various editors? Yeah, various editors. And, uh, sadly my editor that, um, did a lot of my features passed away recently. And, uh, and it was like, wow, it was, sure. you know, not to get into therapy session for me, Colin, but like it tore my heart because it's like, you know connection uh, yeah and there's like a best friend there's a lot mm. of stuff that happens in that room yeah. that yeah. you know no one will ever know and Absolutely. talk about and that was a shared knowledge and a shared trust and that's gone when, when yeah. Gareth yeah. and I were doing Monsters and we were in the edit suite on that uh, for about nine ten months um, and at one point it was very early on uh, and I'd worked with Gareth at that point for about three years on other projects and uh, my wife she's now passed away but she was an editor as well and we were racing to try and get our first assembly out the window and uh, so I asked her to come in and cut some scenes for us assemble some scenes and she was editing in the suite and she just turned around one day and she went oh my god you two get a room because you're <laughs> the married couple yes. it's not us two it's you and Gareth yeah. because wow. we finished one of the of sentences and and I remember on that film I think we worked every single day I think it was for like six months um and the first Sunday we had off and Gareth said what are you doing on Sunday and I went I'm gonna go to a comic-con and he went oh I've never been to a comic-con I wouldn't mind going is um can I come with you? So on our day off, Poor we hung out together. Hung out together, I've never been. And he was like, yeah. what's, what's this Star Wars thing? Right? Yeah. 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 He was a Star Wars obsessed. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so That's uh, really we would hang out socially as well. Because you do become really close with your editor. I mm-hmm. worked with Oliver Parker on, on The Dare and we, <sighs> we got so close and really, you know, he's working on stuff with me now and hopefully he's doing King Arthur if all goes to plan. And I, I really like that. It's like you say, mm-hmm. you have, because he, the editor sees all the bad bits of your oh, yeah. movie. He sits there and goes through all the pain with you. Yeah. You know, all those things you just didn't like or hate. And it's to change is really hard to get that connection. Yeah, right? and that hopefully comes up solutions with you as well. Either yeah. offers you solutions mm-hmm. or can direct you towards the correct solution. It's so nice or, when that happens. You know, because you're there sitting there thinking, oh God, how am I going to make this scene work? Uh, you just, you, you feel like you've hit yeah. a brick wall. Mm-hmm. And he or she will just go, well, how about this? Give mm-hmm. me a moment. And you go, Oh my god, I'm so glad you're here. Yeah. Because otherwise I'd be crushed in a corner crying. You know? I remember at one point I was working with Gareth and it was again it was on Monsters. And he he made some comment about a scene which I'd cut particular way, he wanted something different doing. And I remember going, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he went, oh, God, I hate it when you do that. And I went, why? He goes, because you clearly don't agree with me. And instead of saying, no, you're a tosser, I don't agree with you. Yeah. You're just going, you're sort of going into a, mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, no, not at all. Because I, I'm i such an open book. I will always say what I think and feel, really. And I said, so if I think that's a stupid idea, I go, that's a stupid idea. I said, what in, what in fact is going on, the process where I'm now going, uh-huh, is I've heard what you said. Your solution is not the correct solution. And my version wasn't the correct solution. So I'm now trying to think of what it is we need to do to get to where you want. Mm. So I'm going, uh-huh, uh-huh. Because my mind's already racing ahead. Thinking, thinking of the edit. Thinking, thinking of the shot. Oh, okay, sure. what can we do? What can we do to make that work? So I was in that thought process mm. already. Right. So, and he was right. My version sucked. But his version, even before I did it, I knew it was going to suck. <laughs> so it was like, and then I did this other version. He's like, oh, yeah, that's what I want. And I, the number, I, he, Gareth has said to me on numerous occasions when I'll show him something, and I'll say, oh, I haven't done what you want, and I'll show him it, and he goes, no, that's, do that, do more of that, that's exactly what I want. Amazing. So, did, did, yeah. did you start almost straight away when he was said, well, when Vertigo, I think, said Monsters was happening, were you kind of on board from the beginning with this? With yeah, well, actually, I remember Gareth had talked to me about it before he'd taken it to Vertigo. Right. Because before that, we'd worked on... Um, we did Attila the Hunt together, yep. um, and which was Gareth's first really big, it was an hour long BBC. There was t- debating that becoming a 90 minute because of the amount of material we'd got, the length of the script. Oh, and okay. we c- it would have been re- it would have been a really scrappy 90. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think our first cut we showed the producers on that was like 75 or 80. So to push it up to 90, which we could have done, but it wouldn't have been good. I know. And so it was like, um, but one of the producers was the, at the BBC said, so can we make this a 90? Um, and we all agreed that it would be a better 60. 
sure. uh, which was a shame because a little part of his like 90s kind of feature yeah, length yeah. you know and, it, and, and Attila Gareth did all the VFX on that himself and it had more VFX shots per hour than the first Lord of the Rings film <laughs> and he did them all himself wow. Wow. because and you do bits, bits of VFX as well yourself or have done right not in that not in the not league in of Gareth okay, uh, I'll come back to that in a second Fine. before that we'd worked on Space Race together okay. which was when Gareth was doing VFX on a show that I was editing and that's where we met so Gareth because I'd known him for years at that point he told me what he was trying to do he wanted to make a feature that what he wanted to do with it and it was basically Cloverfield Mm. And I went to the cinema and saw a poster for Cloverfield and I called Gareth from the lobby. Of the, and I went, oh my God, have you heard of the thing? He goes, yeah, I've heard about it. I'm rewriting the script. <laughs> so that was then. And then obviously he pitched uh, Monsters. I went for the interview at Vertigo, had the interview. And at the end of it said to James, who, um, who gave me the interview, I said, well, thank you for meeting with me. And you know, I look forward to you know hearing from you because obviously you're talking to lots of other people. And he went, no, you're cutting this film. <laughs> wow. And I walked out of the room and I called Gareth and he went, how'd it go? And I said, James said, I'm cutting the film. And he went, oh, excellent. <laughs> I've got the job. <laughs> so, yeah. And that was, you know, before, you know, we'd gone into, well, they'd, we'd done prep, but mm. there wasn't a lot of prep on Monsters, as you can imagine. I can imagine. So you'd read We used script. Google Earth for the yeah. uh, location scout. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's what we did. Sat there looking at Hurricane stuff and, and things like that yeah that's incredible yeah. and were you part of that were you quite a not involved? really I, I'm often involved heavily in something prior like even at script stage uh, Monsters because there wasn't there wasn't a script Gareth just had a book of notes which was what each scene the intention of each scene was mm -hmm. and um, the action that was going to take place in that scene there right. was no written dialogue right at all fine so you didn't know what you were getting back then you didn't know None what of us was did. coming mm -hmm. because the actors made it up as all improv yeah there was 120 hours of improv and every day and sometimes Gareth would shoot a scene improv and then we'd be in another location a week later that was a better looking location and he'd do get him to again. do it again right. and of course it would, all, it would all totally new improv some of which would but it would still touch on the same theme that mm -hmm. this original scene had but okay. it was completely different um, how was that for you then to obviously get all this footage back and go well we could go anywhere with this mm -hmm. because it's a brilliant film Monsters and it's edited oh, fantastically well because of all the footage that I've heard that there was and the difference mm -hmm. how do you even piece that together how do you begin okay so I think that um, I didn't know it at the time but the 26 years of being an editor before Cutting Monsters led me up to the moment of opening that Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? yeah, okay. It was seriously, I could not have edited that film if I hadn't cut a lot of documentaries beforehand and a lot of right. drama beforehand. Right. And that was the luxury of my CV was I've always alternated and still do to this day between docs and drama. And uh, without that skill set of looking at documentary rushes, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been able to cut that film. Um, what was it? What was specifically that you think that you'd learn? Because um, when you're looking at documentary rushes, you never get the same take twice. And that's certainly the case on Monsters. Mm -hmm. um, you learn how to cut around things where the continuity doesn't exist, which it didn't on Monsters. Mm -hmm. um, and you learn how to listen to what people are saying and find the moment of story within that scene in a documentary environment. And that's exactly what it was like on Monsters. Excellent. We obviously had our screenplay as it was. Notepad, uh, notes. Style. Yeah. Uh, so we knew where we were going. But... Um, Scoot and Whitney, who were both incredible. incredible. And I, that, film wouldn't, that film would be nothing without people as good as... I mean, I think they are genuinely both brilliant. I think they're both brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, there were a couple at the time, right? I think, I that's think right, that's right. Ride. So if they hadn't worked, that film would not have worked. We'd have come back and gone, you know what, we're going to bin it. There was a point... Wow. <laughs> there was a point a week into the shoot, and... Um, I'm pretty sure this is public knowledge. Um, <laughs> a week into the shoot, Scoop. James came out, uh, James Richardson, to Mexico where we're filming. Yeah, the producer. To, yes, right, the producer yeah. to see how we were getting on. Uh -oh. And there was a crew, I don't, for people who don't know, Monsters was shot by Gareth and it was Gareth shot it. Uh, Ian McLagan was sound recordist. Um, and then, yeah, we had Jim Spencer, the line producer, then myself and Justin, who was my assistant, Justin Hall. That was the entire crew. And Verity, who was our local, she was our Mexican 
production manager, location right. fixer, translator, everything. And so nearly more editors than there was. The editing, really. editorial department was the biggest department. <laughs> <laughs> never, well, I mean, never that again. makes sense. So, the ratio right? of yeah. so, um, uh, And so James came out to see how we were getting on. Mm. And at that point, we'd been filming for a week. And at the end, James came in and he watched, sat and watched some rushes with me. And I thought he was going to look at everything, and he didn't. He just looked at a few things, and he went, okay, yeah, I'm good. And he left. And then Gareth went to see him, and he said, so what do you think? And he was like, yeah, no, great. And he goes, because after today, you have got to pull the plug or let it all go. Let it ride. Because oh. up to this moment, I've got enough money in my bank account to pay you back for what we've spent so far. But after tomorrow, I, don't, I can't repay you. Mm. And James laughed, and he said... Um, because uh, first of all I've never had a director offer to pay back the production yeah, that's been shot they, so well, far so well. this is just brilliant uh, I guess and secondly I'm going to tell you a little thing about we have a pie chart at Vertigo Films and we have this slice here which is like you know maybe it was like a third of the pie chart that's our budget for the firm the movie we're making at the moment yes. and then we've got this pie part of the pie chart here which was I think it was maybe Street Dance 3D or something you know and then we've got this tiny little sliver which is R&D and this film is being financed out of the R&D. <laughs> so if this Brilliant. film, if when you finish it, we look at it and we think we can't release that, we're writing it off as R&D. Wow. But if it's good, which we all think it's going to be, and looking at the rushes, I think you've got a film there. Mm. Uh, yeah, we're good to go. And Gareth went, no, I don't feel the pressure. Because up to that moment, Gareth has really been feeling all feature of the pressure debut, was on him. Feature debut, no and with no script, mm. and so that was the mm -hmm. behind-the-scenes story of making monsters Amazing. at that point, um, and it obviously worked out well. Very, very well. <laughs> right. But it was interesting because my wife. So when she was cutting, and she was a very experienced documentary uh, editor, yeah. and she had edited a series for the BBC across eight years, which was about the Olympics. So every oh. four years, she'd be asked back. Great. And she would she'd cut all those films with Steve Redgrave about the Olympic rowers, yes. which yeah, was yeah. self-shot. So the rowers would film themselves for four years and then she'd get all their rushes and then wow. she'd have to do a documentary about their training for four years. Wow. Wow. And so she was used to, I remember once working on a show and I had 70, 751 hours of rushes and my wife went, ha, that's nothing. Because she was used to working with a lot more. Lots. And so she came on to monsters and she was trying to cut a scene and she went, oh my God, this stuff's almost uncut. And I went, almost. Welcome. Almost. Yeah. But That's if you just word. go through the pain barrier, yeah. Yeah. if you just go through the pain barrier, it's it, it, it's brilliant. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's what he's doing is genius. But it's just so unconventionally covered. Mm. Because Gareth was not a documentary cameraman. And I think Gareth is a stunning DOP. Right. I genuinely thought that movie, which it never did, was going to win awards for its cinematography. Because mm. I think it looked beautiful um but he's a terrible operator because <laughs> because he never holds a shot long enough mm. and somebody will be in a deep conversation and he'll pan off now half right. the time he was panning off because he was panning off in the middle of the dive de deliberately because he wanted to pan to nothing where there was he was going to put in a crashed airplane or a tank or a creature or whatever so sure. that i would get yeah. but there are other times he was just I don't know, re he was wanting to get a better composition. He was always looking for the better composition. Right. But it would be just at that crucial moment on the dialogue, which they were never going to do again, where yeah. I'd be like, just hold that on! <laughs> God damn! So the thing on Monsters is, whenever you're on the back of the actor's head, it's new dialogue that I've nicked from somewhere else or gotten to re-record in ADR. Amazing. So uh, did wow. you do, do you have to do a lot of ADR like, to, to sort of stick the film together yeah, in that way? So, um, so what was interesting was... Um, I think there was one scene in the film, which was on the train, which the second we got on that, and it was a very old rickety train, know, and Ian, the sound the recorder, said, and we were on that train for 12 hours. Right. And Ian said, just so you know, guy, I'm going to do the best I can, right. but I swear you won't be able to use it. Yeah. Mm. And that was the scene we always knew we were going to have to complete the ADR because every time we cut, it was going click, 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 click. So we had to, right? Obvious. Apart from that, everything else, Ian's best recorded stuff I've ever worked with. And it was all usable. But unfortunately, there were times because we completely rewrote what they were saying and I would find a line that was in vision on their mouths that I would have, but I would have to rewrite with myself and Gareth, you know, we would rewrite new dialogue um, up to that point so that I could cut around the footage and compress it down and whatever. So a lot of it was ADR'd from a plot point of view. I didn't say a lot, but... 
Yeah, more than normal. I mean, this uh, is obviously like, on other movies you ADR everything mm -hmm. from a technical yeah. point of view. It wasn't yeah. a case we had to do it technically; it was a point we had to do it plot-wise. Yeah. Yes. But then what we did was we then ADR the entire film, and then when we sat in the mix in Berlin at Post Republic, we would listen to Ian's original sound, and we would use that whenever possible. So mm -hmm. most of the final mix is Ian's recording, mm -hmm. even though we did get Scoot and Whitney to ADR the entire movie as per industry mm -hmm. standard. Amazing! I love that story. The, uh, really well, I mean, what's what, what's interesting about that is like everyone says, oh, you know, process of editing is like rewriting the film. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of the next phase. It's the next. Yeah. It's the final draft of the screenplay. Absolutely correct. Oh, and, except from Monsters, it was writing the film. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, yeah. And this sounds the first time. you were writing it. As the in perfect the edit. example yeah. of that yeah. is yeah. like you've got these rushes that yeah. are thematically connected by yeah. notes and things, but then you're actually. I mean, you, you're a screenwriter, yeah. but with with pictures. That's exactly yeah. it. Lovely. You have yeah. to be a. I think to be a good editor. You have to be a good writer. So hang on. So to good editor, you need to be a good therapist and a good writer, a director, yep. a writer, yep. you know, a and, best friend, uh, yeah, yep. and also and be able to. You have to be able to stay awake to do very long hours. Yeah, and, in and, dark rooms and survive yeah. and in no daylight. You have to have an incredibly windows. forgiving partner. Yeah. Yes, yeah. preferably who's an editor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so I mean, you understand. It, that, what, oh what what is great about you know today's day and age where technology and everything is so accessible? Mm -hmm. You know, editing software is free. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, mm. It's like you people come out of uni or film school and get their business card and go, right, I'm an editor. Yes, and you go well. Pressing the buttons is only one part of the, That's correct. the, the pie. I mean, but, but I like to think that they are editors. Mm. That's mm. the first thing I often say to people, you know, they're straight out of film. I say to them, you are an editor. Yeah. You're not an experienced editor, but you are already an editor, mm. you know, because filmmaking, directing, editing, you know, all of those, all of our craft skills, really, it's not learning how to be a brain surgeon. No. It's really not. Nobody's ever going to die. You know, wow. because of your directing, you know, that shot poorly, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's like, but there are people who have real jobs in the real world that they have to train for years, yeah. take seven years to train as a doctor for a reason, yes. mm -hmm. you know, so they can't leave at 21 and say, I'm a doctor, <laughs> you know, and, um, but we all can, and mm. we probably all did, mm. but it just means that we don't have the experience of how to get ourselves out of a hole when it all goes wrong. Yeah. Anybody can actually cut a brilliantly directed movie with a very experienced mm. director. With a beefy line right? script. To be honest, course, yeah. they really can. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. really can. Yeah. It might not be, but what they can't do is probably sit there and offer up some new suggestions. Some magic. Mm. Yes. Because every film needs that bit of magic in to the To take edit. it that... Just that thing. Choices yeah. as well in the edit. How do you make a decision on choices, especially with monsters? I mean, it's a perfect example mm -hmm. of that. Is you could go down that route, you could mm -hmm. go down that route. Mm -hmm. What was your process there in the edit to choose your shots? That's a really good question. Um, Thank you. Okay. Um, was it in focus? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a good point. Right? Wow. And that was genuinely not... Because often it would be... You know, he be, would be refocusing and I'd be like, oh my God, I just need that line. So I'd try and piece things... I would try and piece the scene together initially based on the best looking imagery with the best plot points. Right, okay. What, and also what was interesting about Monsters was um, the first cut of that film, which was only about four hours, which is not bad for a feature, and especially one that's all, all improv right? Wow. I mean, because effectively the first cut of that film was 120 hours. It was just yeah, really all the rushes together yeah. and you could have watched it because it was all different new dollar. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so it was four hours was the first one that I let anybody see. Okay, right? fine. Um, and that version is much more editorially exciting. It's much more jump cut. It's much more impressionistic. Mm. It's much more breathless Goddard. And that was what I thought the film was going to be. Mm. Ironically, the shorter the film got, the more compressed it got. You didn't need three jump cuts to get them down the road with those three different pieces of dialogue. Just one it was shot. Just one shot. Yeah. It was just one or one cut. Yeah. And then you were on to the next thing and then you were cut to a different location. And it was interesting because part of me, as I was shortening the film, I was aware that, you know, my editing BAFTA was going out the window. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it was looking more and more and more normal pedestrian. Unobvious. I see what you mean. Um, but it was making a better and better and better film. Mm. Yes. So, yeah. Know. And did you expect the reaction? Because the film was, it blew up, it obviously. Okay, so here's the thing. I genuinely, even before we went into making that film, and I'll rewind even earlier. When I was asked, the BBC producers phoned me up to ask me to 
Edit Attila, which at that point, the way they sold, they sold it to me was almost like a double glazing salesman who's trying to talk you into buying, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, and they were saying, and they said, hi, Colin, uh, you know, Gareth Edwards is directing this film, and blah, 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 and it's in Bulgaria, and we're shooting this, and we're lots of CGI, blah, blah. And they explained all the positives, right, about it. And I was like, but it, and I was like, no, no, but you had me at Gareth Edwards. Because Gareth had been so incredible on Space Race mm. as a VFX person. And I'd seen a film that he'd directed called End Day, which Gareth thinks is, is terrible and he hates it and doesn't want anybody to watch it. It's on YouTube. Go watch <laughs> it. And it'd been made on a tiny, minuscule budget. Again, he'd made all the, did all the effects himself. And watching that film, I knew that guy could, was a really good director, could absolutely direct. Mm. So when given the opportunity to edit something that he was going to direct on a BBC budget, you know, which was over a million, I think, the budget on wow. Attila. So way more than the budget of Monsters. Way, way, more. way, way more. And, um, uh, and I was like, yeah, I'm totally there because I believe in this guy. Right. And then when we did Attila, I genuinely thought that, that Gareth's career was going to go meteoric and he couldn't really get a gig directing like Doctor Who for telly. He couldn't get a gig directing mm. Doctor Who. I know that. And I was like, but hang on, but, but what? Yeah. But what? But what? Mm. You should be directing the next Harry Potter film. That's genuinely what I thought was mm. going to happen. Yeah. And so then we got to do Monsters. Mm. And when we were doing Monsters, I remember walking to the train station one night and and it was a point in the edit where some comments from various people that had seen it were not positive. Mm-hmm. And Gareth said to me, what do you think? And I said, screw them all. This film's going to outlive us. This film is going to outlive you and me. Wow. That's how, and that's when we were still cutting it. Yeah. And then obviously other people saw it and were like, you know, this is, it's fantastic. This is it. yeah. um, so I always believed in it. And I thought we were going to, we were going to become millionaires on the back of it. Mm-hmm. Right. And of course we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Someone else got So I that. totally believed in it from day one. Oh, Even I as I was assembling scenes, I was thinking... I, the other thing I thought was I thought it was going to change the way that films were made. Oh, okay. You know, I really did. I thought the rule book of having 50 people still on film possible. crew. This, I yeah, know, but it's like, that's we made that film 11 years ago. And we were on the cutting edge of technology for using that Sony camera with the film effect on it and all those things, 235, yeah. you know, those lenses that we used. Special effects and as well. the special yeah. effects being done by somebody Someone at home in their bedroom, yep. blah, blah, blah. Literally did it in his and bedroom. Yeah. yeah, and I just thought we are going to get a hundred films like this at the multiplex every year from, and they're all going to be good. Mm. Now, mm. we might have had a hundred films a year, but they haven't been to that standard. I mean, occasional one slips through mm-hmm. and I remember when uh, Tangerine came out, yeah. how brilliant that was and I think that's a stunning film Mm -hmm. you know and so there are little people who still uh, films are made that that make that impression still but it's not become the norm that's really interesting I was shocked I thought it was going to the way that digital printing swept away Fleet Street I thought Monsters was going to sweep away yeah. the, 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 the way that films well, Maybe it's studios and mini-studios, we should really call them, who can yeah. make those movies anyway, sort of still get cold feet about something like that, yeah. trusting an unknown director yeah. to go out and go, just yeah. make something up. Gareth has a really interesting theory, um, which has never been put into practice because it would take somebody with incredible guts to do it, which is he thinks the best way to make a big studio movie with a $200 million budget will be to go and shoot the film twice shoot it the monster's way with the act your actors go out and improv it and shoot it with him operating all improv do it like that and then go and shoot it with your full unit your camera cranes and all those things and your steady cams and then intercut the best version together but effectively that's how big studio films are kind of made you know this like clickbaity word of reshoots which Mm -hmm. I hate that word it makes it sound like it's something really negative happened Um, but you know it's just the process of rewriting visually you've got a film in the edit Mm -hmm. you know it's actually a luxury wouldn't you you love to maybe not to the extreme of as Gareth has pitched it but to go get in the edit and go I just wish I'd got that shot or oh if only I'd got that the Mm. Gareth's original schedule shooting schedule for Monsters because it was all improv the idea was we would shoot for two weeks I would be on location which which I was for the whole film um, assembling we would then have two weeks in the edit find out what he needed and then we'd go and do another two weeks and then another two weeks in the edit Mm. and then another so we had we would have like eight weeks six weeks or eight weeks of shoot but with two weeks every two weeks in between to do the edit then because of the cost of the flights etc and the hotels it was decided that what we would do is we'd have the shoot which are six seven weeks 
something like that, eight mm-hmm. weeks, uh, we would do as that block, we'd go back to the edit until, and that was from January till April, and then we would go back and mm-hmm. shoot. So we always had, I think, in the budget schedule to do a two-week pickup shoot, and in the end we used a week. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, that was the the same process that he always wants to do because mm. it means you've always put aside a contingency in your budget to go back and not do a day's pickup, but to do a week's pickup or a two-week pickup or a three-week pickup. Mm. So, yeah, as you say, this people go, oh, you're reshooting. No, we are not reshooting stuff. Mm. We're, We're still filming. Mm. And anybody that's mm. used to working on documentaries knows that's how you make a documentary. You rarely go out and shoot everything on a dock on day one to mm. day 10 mm. and then go into the edit. You're often filming your contributors when you can at certain events over a certain period of time why shouldn't you do that if your cast are available and at an affordable cost because actually you'll make a better film that way yeah well we did it on the dare yeah and and even though it felt like it was because it took time because no one was available studio space wasn't free it it was great mm-hmm. i you know looking back now i'm so glad i had those reshoots if we call them yeah. but you're right it's just filming yeah. we've got more filming i think it's just yet. called a shoot we should up. stop yeah. using the word yeah. reshoot yeah, and start yeah. using the word shooting shoot. because that's what it is it's image gathering you know it's nothing else yeah. and, and on monsters the funny thing about that was the very last shot we did on monsters we filmed uh on the floor outside my edit suite which was the candles in the Mexico scene. Oh. That was, we did the, the, the photographs. Yes. That was a pickup shot we did in Camden in a car park outside the edit. Love it. Well, this is what I know about, you know, um, uh, JJ Abrams is very open about his process. You know, he's, you know, got Bad Robot on the studio in there and stuff. He's like, some pivotal moments in Force Awakens were shot mm-hmm. in the corner of the room. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a really pivotal shot, which you think, seeing the scene, which is the bit at the end with Ray, you know, uh, fighting Kylo Ren. Now we're getting geeky. Um, <laughs> and there's a moment where everything almost slows down where she realizes she, she's got the force. It's like the moment that empowers her to go forward and defeat him. They didn't shoot that originally. It's just in the A that they decided they needed it. So yeah. they got her back, got a bit of snow in her face, yeah. a bit of a wind machine, shot it and put it in the film. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you think like, how uh, you think how how did you miss that it's like yeah. well you didn't know it was missing until you cut the scene mm, and then right. you realize no the importance of the scene is that moment and to get that moment we need to go and shoot it yeah, yeah. you know it's filming yeah. it's filming hi guys it's robbie here i'm so sorry it breaks my heart having to cut into this conversation with the great Colin Gowdy, but we're going to make this one a two-parter, so this is the end of part one, and in the next part you'll find out all about how Colin worked with Gareth Edwards on Rogue One, and some other great stories. He's such a nice man, and he was so generous with his time. After the recording he was telling us loads of secret stories about the Disney vaults. But uh, yeah, hope you enjoy this part, and yeah, look out for part two later on this week.